Podcastle, episode 261, for May 21st, 2013. Oracle Gretel, by Julia Rios. Rated PG. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm Ann Leckie. The more fairy tales you read, the more they start looking kind of modular, made up of blocks of events that can be, and are, snapped together in almost any order to make a new story, or to embellish or extend an already existing one. Or to replace things that a stories collector or translator finds unsavory or unsuitable for children. Or sometimes, an image or theme in one story strongly resembles an entirely different story so it's even easier to lift an episode from one to elaborate or lengthen the other. So sometimes you run across two stories that really seem like they belong together or that are difficult to tell apart. For instance, the very famous Hansel and Gretel is often confused with or deliberately spliced onto another fairy tale called Little Brother and Little Sister. In Little Brother and Little Sister, a pair of children run away to escape their evil stepmother who happens to be a witch. When they get tired and thirsty, they stop at a stream to drink, but the stepmother has enchanted it so that it will turn whoever drinks from it into a tiger. Little sister warns little brother and convinces him not to drink. The next stream will turn him into a wolf, the third a deer. And at that stream, the thirst is too much for little brother, who drinks. Dear brother and little sister take up housekeeping in the woods, where, of course, a king out hunting finds them and marries little sister. Eventually, the evil stepmother is found and killed, and the deer is turned back into a man. Usually, Hansel and Gretel ends with Gretel pushing the witch into the oven, and both children running back home to discover their mother has died. Now there's a coincidence, huh? And they can live happily ever after with their father. But sometimes, Gretel frees Hansel when the witch is out. The children grab the witch's magic wand and flee. The witch pursues them wearing a pair of seven-league boots. The children escape after a series of transformations. For the last one, Gretel changes Hansel into a fawn, but she loses the wand and can't change him back. They take up housekeeping in the forest, and suddenly, we're in Little Brother and Little Sister. This kind of grafting episodes and themes from one fairy tale onto another is really extremely common, and some of those episodes and themes have a life of their own. Even if you haven't read the Grimm's Hansel and Gretel, you probably understand the metaphorical significance of a trail of breadcrumbs, or are familiar with the image of the witch's cake and candy house. These and other fairy tale motifs are easy to plug into other stories, and so they turn up all sorts of places. Today's story is Oracle Gretel by Julia Rios. Julia Rios is a writer, editor, podcaster, and narrator. She hosts the Outer Alliance podcast, celebrating quilt bag speculative fiction, and is one of the three fiction editors at Strange Horizons. Her fiction, articles, interviews, and poetry have appeared in Daily Science Fiction, Apex Magazine, Stone Telling, Jabberwocky, and several other places. Her website is www.juliarios.com. Oracle Gretel was originally published in May of 2012 as a hand-bound chapbook with illustrations by Eric Amundsen. Eric is online at cucumberseed.livejournal.com. Oracle Gretel is read by Marguerite Kenner. She's the editor of Cast of Wonders and lives in England. She's also on our forums and Twitter as Muse of Chaos. Oracle Gretel by Julia Rios Teeth Gretel was in love with her boss. 
Miss L. Thorne spoke in short, clipped sentences, and when she smiled, which was rare, it looked like the curved edge of a wicked blade. At night, at home, while she attempted yet again to bind her flyaway curls into something more elegant, Gretel told Hansel all about what Miss L. Thorne had done that day and what she had worn. Hansel twitched his ginger tail, insouciant as only siblings and house cats could be. Oh, not Mistlethorn again, he said. I hope you didn't let that creature distract you so much that you forgot my food. As if you need fattening, Gretel said. A witch will eat you if you don't watch out. You're the only witch I know, was Hansel's rumbling reply. I am no witch, Gretel said, but she was too much in the dreamy stage to be properly annoyed. She scratched him under his chin and opened the tab on the fancy feast. Hansel listened while he ate, or at least if he wasn't listening, his mouth was too full to talk about other things. Miss L. Thorne was cool and smooth. She always wore business suits and kept her hair coiled neatly instead of loose and free. She did not play by anyone's rules, but made her own and allowed others to obey them. She'd hired Gretel because in the interview, Gretel had said she didn't like sweets. Good, said Miss Elthorne. I don't want any of this office cupcake nonsense. I'm very particular about what I put in my mouth. Can you respect that? Of course, said Gretel. She scribbled it in her day planner. New job, no cupcakes. Miss Elthorne regarded this with a tilted head, haughty and swan-like, but not disapproving. You'll do she said. Then she flashed one of those scimitar smiles, and in it Gretel saw the whole hopeless arc of her future with the company. Rider Wait When they were still children such a long time ago, everything was supersaturated, thickly outlined, clear. The world was ruled by men, and women were cunning, relied on their charms. The infant mortality rate was high, and infancy lasted until puberty, usually eleven or twelve. Gretel was nine when the business with the witch happened, and with the stepmother. She ought to hate the stepmother, according to the dictates of the world, but she understood too well for hate. Children must do what they could to survive, and adults were just children in bigger skin. Gretel had tried and tried to be good, scrubbing, fetching, carrying, eating only the barest of the bear the burnt ends of the bread, a few spoonfuls of porridge. It didn't matter, though. It never matters where there is meat and bread enough for only two, and you are four, when your brother eats enough for three all on his own. Temperance, she cautioned, filling water jugs from the well. But Hansel didn't heed it. He chewed the flesh of a late autumn apple and dropped the core in the dirt so Gretel couldn't even suck the last of the juice. He'd believe he'd grow into strength, like their father, a lion of a woodcutter, if ever there was one. But of course that lion was bested by a woman, harnessed with a chain of flowers. They never had a chance. It was a relief when she sent them away. Gretel had wasted to nearly nothing by then, and she was emotionally wasted too, from the knowing. Every night in the fire, there was never a lack of heat in the woodcutter's cottage, she saw the laughter of the gods and the promise of danger and hard times to come. 
harder even than the ones at hand. To prove their use, the stepmother said, they must go forth and bring down a heart. Never mind the king, for how could he know? He never came this way. And if not a heart, a doe, even a fawn would do. But food they must have, and they weren't to return without meat enough to equal their combined weight. We haven't arrows, mother, whined Hansel, and Gretel could hear by his wheedling tone that he actually thought it would sway her. Art thou not the son of a woodsman? the stepmother asked. Canst thou not make them with twigs all round? Hansel was not quick-witted enough to form a retort, and Gretel was too quick-witted by half, and so it was that they went out into the wild with naught but a loaf of bread. Easy enough for the stepmother to part with that when she knew they'd trouble her no more. Fairies The fairies will tell you what they think you need to hear. Sometimes this is the truth. Sometimes it is what you want to hear. Sometimes it's a blatant lie. You will not know the difference until later, but then you will agree that what counsel they gave was the only thing you could have borne. Gretel consulted the fairies whenever she felt like consulting something. It was folly for an oracle to consult anything, of course. She couldn't help seeing, hearing, knowing things, whatever she did. But sometimes she could almost believe the lies. Will Miss Elthorne love me? She asked the night after her first day of work. Yes, the fairy said. Ecstasy, marriage, warmth, and sun. Go to work joyfully, for you will not be disappointed. Gretel had already seen the knife-edged smile, but she paid it no mind. That night she gave herself over to fancy, as she knew she would for at least two weeks. On the armrest next to Gretel, Hansel sighed contentedly. Food and love were bountiful when Gretel fell for someone. His cat brain could remember the shape of her buoyancy and the association with treats. It did not yet connect them with the crash of withdrawal that lay over the curve of the scimitar blade. Silver Shoes The one thing she'd kept as long as Hansel was a pair of silver shoes left to her by their true mother. They were chaste filigree, and they never looked quite the same from one wear to the next. When she wore them, the road ahead was a thin gold line pulling her where she needed to go. They never tarnished. The true mother had been an oracle, too. Perhaps that's why she had left. Their father said she had died, and she may have died, or she may have gone over to wandering. If there was one thing Gretel understood— It was that oracles didn't stay in one place comfortably, not for long. In the forest, Gretel had carried the shoes in her kerchief, carefully bundled to look careless and messy so the stepmother wouldn't remark upon it. She didn't put them on until the bread was gone, half eaten by Hansel and half by the birds. When it was cold and dark and they had no shelter, when Hansel's whining had passed over annoyance and into fear, Then Gretel slipped them onto her small, dirty feet. They fit perfectly. They always fit perfectly. They never pinched or gave a blister, and they never fell off either. Gretel's stomach complained from the lack of food, and her head swam with dizziness, but the shoes pulled her forward, tripping through the darkness along that golden line. She held fast to Hansel's hand, refusing to lose him in the night. 
When the witch's house appeared, it was nearly dawn, and Gretel was too near the point of death to question such a miracle. She ate and ate from the shingled sides until her tongue and gums bled from the roughness of sugary bread. When she retched, it smelled like Christmas. She was too weak to protest when the witch came out and tucked them into the cage, but not too weak to notice that the witch couldn't loose the shoes from her feet. Computer Games At work, Miss L. Thorne gave her assignments over social networking games. First it was Sim Farm. Miss L. Thorne has offered you a dozen eggs in exchange for a day of plowing, the notification said. Personal Message I don't like eggs. Run the Cranville reports and settle the discrepancies with accounting. Gretel did as she was told, efficiently, quickly, determined to show that she was also cool and smooth and worthy of being loved. When her farm threatened to become more productive than Miss L. Thorne's, the game changed. Gemsplosion came next. Miss L. Thorne challenges you to beat her high score. Three ruby explosions in one minute. Personal message. Arrange the quarterly meeting. No fattening food. Buy a better suit. Gretel ordered sushi for the meeting's lunch and personally oversaw the cleaning and setup of the conference space. At home, she tore through her wardrobe, trying on every skirt and blazer and pair of slacks before she settled on going shopping after all. Hansel watched this from the bed, wary of the giddy desperation that left pink spots in Gretel's cheeks. It reminded him of other times, of distraction and neglect, of being forced to sustain himself on dry food. When Gretel achieved a diamond explosion, the game switched to word cross. Miss L. Thorne has played Thistle for 100 points. Gretel's available letters left her with only one viable option, Norns for 28 points. Missiles, Thorns, Thistles, Norns. She did not wish to consider what this could mean. She was losing quite badly, but that was probably for the best. Miss L. Thorne did not like to be beaten. Once Gretel had had an Italian lover who was also no good at being beaten. In cards, in fights, in anything. He would roar like a bear and said thugs to kill his opponents. Gretel always let him win. When the whole affair fell apart... When Gretel fled in the night in the silver shoes with Hansel in her kerchief, she swore she would never do that again. But, she told herself, Miss L. Thorne was different. Of course she would be sensitive about winning. She was a woman in a world which was still tough on women, no matter how much times had changed. The meeting went smoothly, though Miss L. Thorne did not notice the new suit which Gretel had spent a full paycheck to buy. Gretel resolved to try harder. Eggs In the witch time, after Gretel had been let out of the cage, but before she had worked out how to escape, Gretel had learned about eggs. The witch showed her how to reach under a brooding hen without disturbing her, and how to tell what the day would bring based on the number inside each nest. One for sorrow, two for work, three for a decent breakfast. The witch would let her eat as much as she wanted, but Gretel was careful not to overdo. One egg a day left her strong enough to work, but skinny enough not to get eaten. 
Hansel stayed in the cage, eating six or seven in a sitting, ignoring his sister's entreats to abstain. Gretel had seen her escape in the clouds, and she knew when it came there would be no boy at her side, but she tried to reason with him all the same. There were a number of ways to prepare eggs, and each had its own divination method. With hard-boiled eggs, it matters how they peel, said the witch. You can learn anything in the world from cracked shells. She said the same thing about the color of raw yolks and the curves of scrambles. Gretel was beating whites for meringue one afternoon, content in the way that complacency can make one be. She had food, measurable tasks, and as much security as she had ever enjoyed, so she had not tried too hard to fight her circumstances. In fact, she had turned to dreaming of other things entirely. Will I find true love? She asked the whites. If they stiffened before she counted to ten, she would. If they didn't, she wouldn't. She had reached five when the witch came in and placed her gnarled hand over Gretel's, stilling the whisk. You should never fall in love, the witch said. Loving people never does anyone any good. You should do better to ask if you will always have food enough to eat. Gretel thought that was stupid. In her short life to date, she had already seen that food was unreliable. Even having it didn't mean safety. Hansel was destined for the soup pot, after all. Songs one thing Gretel had always loved was music, folk ballads and operas, waltzes and rock. So long as it had a melody, it made Gretel's heart swell. These days, she didn't have to wait for concerts and dances or carry the tunes in her head. Music was portable now. There were benefits to living in this modern age. The problem with being an oracle, though, was that she couldn't escape the knowing. All Gretel wanted was a good thumping dance beat to propel her from her apartment to the bus stop and on to her office. Unfortunately, her MP3 player refused to play anything but love will tear us apart. The year was winding down. Word cross had been the game of choice for three full weeks because Gretel never won. She didn't even have to try to throw the games. The letters distributed themselves in the right patterns to make Gretel unlucky and Miss L. Thorne very lucky indeed. On the morning of the holiday party, Gretel played Wife for 14 points, and Miss L. Thorne played Never for 56. That night, Gretel wore a new dress, one that would sparkle under the lights on the dance floor. Hansel yawned when Gretel asked how she looked. It won't work, he said. She doesn't love you. Don't forget to feed me before you go. Gretel gave him the shrimp-flavored can of food because she knew he liked it the least. At the party, everyone got drunk. The company was paying for taxis to take them home. Gretel found herself leaning hazily against Miss Elthorne's bony shoulder. It was sharp enough almost to cut if her skin hadn't been in the way. But Gretel didn't mind. She thought it was sexy. Dear little Gretel... It's cute that you want me, said Miss Elthorne, but I'm never going to be into you. I have all the power in this relationship. People fall for others with more perceived power, not less. It was the most Miss Elthorne had ever said to Gretel at one time, and it rang horribly of truth. 
The song changed from All I Want for Christmas is You to Closing Time. The party was over. Ouija A century earlier, Gretel had made her living as a medium. Sometimes when people knocked on wood for luck, she would remember the nights of table tapping and producing lengths of silk ectoplasm from her mouth. It was a profitable trend, but she'd hated it. Her tongue had always been dry, and the only spirits who would talk to her were the ones she'd rather have avoided. Is my dear Billy in heaven? A wartime mother asked one night. The planchette whooshed over the board. H. V. N. S. L. V. N. G. Y. It says, Heaven is living, yes, said Gretel, but her voice trembled because she knew it really meant heaven is loving you, which was what her last admirer had said to win her affections. His abject adoration had rankled, and Gretel had been relieved when he'd succumbed to the Spanish influenza, though it made her a tiny bit guilty to admit it. W-H-Y-D-N-T-Y-L-V-M What does that mean? asked the client. Why don't you love me, Gretel thought, and it made her angry. She wasn't talking to him. He was gone. He should move on. This Billy obviously had. Why couldn't her ex-boyfriend do the same? The client was staring expectantly. The room smelled too closely of incense and fevered hope. Gretel trained her eyes on the candle flame and willed herself to think fast. He says, why don't you leave me? He's moved on to better places. He wants you to be happy for him and to move on also. The client left happy, but the next night was more of the same, and the night after as well. Gretel grew ever more exasperated until one night in the middle of a seance, she shouted, Go beyond the veil already! After that, she stuck to secretarial work. Sweets Gretel had learned to bake at the witch's house. She had learned how to make cakes come out just right to entice a young child. She had learned the secret to making gingerbread strong as wood, how to use sugar paste as glue, how to bind up a wish in the crust of a pie. She had learned all these things from the witch, and some other things, too, from the stack of dusty books in the witch's pantry. The witch, it turned out, was not very good at aspects of witching that didn't revolve around food. As long as she was well-fed, she didn't care, either. Gretel studied the books whenever the witch was out. She paid special attention to the sections on transmogrification, learning how to change her brother into a cat so he could slip through the bars of his cage. The books didn't tell how to reverse the effect, but that turned out to be all right. What use is a cat to me? The witch cried, upon finding Hansel sniffing about the kitchen. She didn't try anything violent, though, or even tell Hansel to leave. Rather, she seemed to like it when he curled up on her lap of an evening, for all she called him useless and lazy. In the end, Gretel left her with her blessing, which was nice of her to give, even if it wasn't worth as much as a fairy blessing would have been. One day you'll make a fine witch, she told Gretel as she waved her goodbye. If you ever stop worrying about this love nonsense, that is. I am no witch, Gretel said. Lately, though, 
She tired of the roller coaster ups and downs of love affairs. She wearied of always losing at Wordcross, and of showing up to work with a horrible hope that would rise only to be dashed again. Miss L. Thorne began flirting with Amanda in accounting. She was in line to become a senior VP, while Gretel was still an admin ass. As Gretel's hopes faded, her bitterness grew, and she found herself craving sweets. This job isn't good for you, Hansel said. He was huffy, because Gretel had been to the store for cookies and forgotten to pick up canned food. I thought you didn't like sweets. He glared at her as she chewed. I didn't before. I do now. A woman can change her mind. Any decent woman would remember to buy her poor brother a meal while she was at it, said Hansel. It's not like I have thumbs, you know. You always forget me when you fall out of love. Gretel stopped mid-bite. You're right, she said. She left the half-eaten cookie for Hansel and started emptying the kitchen cupboards. Cats aren't supposed to eat chocolate, called Hansel. I could die. Then don't eat it, Gretel said. But he did, and he didn't die, just sicked up on the bedroom floor. Gretel was too busy baking to notice. The next morning, she packed everything into suitcases, Hansel included, and donned the silver shoes. She followed the golden line to Miss L. Thorne's desk and left a cake atop it, beautifully iced in calligraphy letters that spelled out, I quit! Miss L. Thorne would not eat the cake, Gretel knew. It would annoy her, though, which was somewhat satisfying. The shoes pulled her into another city and stopped in an abandoned tea room with a flat above it. What are we doing here? Hansel asked. I am opening a bake shop, said Gretel. You will stay out of the way. It was a life of hard toil, but Gretel enjoyed it. She grew slightly plump, and her hair began to gray. She stopped worrying that anyone would try to eat her, or what they thought of her at all. She allowed the fishmonger, a boisterous woman whose laugh was as open as her heart, to court her with scraps for Hansel, surprising herself by developing a sincere and comfortable attachment. She was, for the first time in her very long life, happy. When the girl showed up, she was skinny and sad, with large, imploring eyes. She came to the shop every afternoon in her school uniform to stare longingly at the cakes. Gretel let it go on for a couple of weeks before she gave in. One afternoon, she placed two jagged halves of a heart cookie on the counter. Here, this one's broken anyway, she said. The girl ate it hungrily, but Gretel could see remorse in the splay of her maidenly eyelashes. She feared eating a broken heart would doom her to having one. You should never worry about love, Gretel said, thinking of herself and Miss L. Thorne, whose sharpness she still glimpsed from time to time in mirrors and razors. That never does anyone any good. The girl's eyes widened, impossibly becoming more round. Oh, for pity's sake, you look like a cartoon, Gretel said. Stay here a minute and watch the shop. I have to go get something. When she came back, the girl was fidgeting and shifting her weight from one foot to the other. Had Gretel ever looked so pathetic? She held out the silver shoes. Take these. They'll fit you. I don't need them anymore. They'll show you where to go. Oh, but I couldn't, the girl said. They must be very expensive. 
I paid nothing for them, Gretel said. The girl clasped her hands behind her back. Aunt says never to take gifts from strangers. Gretel sighed. You took the cookie. That was different, said the girl, but the splay of her eyelashes said she was lying and that she wouldn't be satisfied until she felt her debt was repaid. Fine, said Gretel. You can work for them if you must. Come here after school tomorrow, and I'll have something for you to do. That evening upstairs, Hansel purred by the hearth, his belly full of fish. She thinks you might eat her, Hansel said, smug as house cats and siblings are wont to be. She's a fool, said Gretel. I don't eat children. She doesn't know that, said Hansel. She only knows you're a witch. Gretel pressed her lips together, but said nothing, for she knew he was right. And welcome back. When we were talking about this one, and like he said something, I found interesting. In the book of The Wizard of Oz, but not the movie, the witch captures Dorothy and the lion, and makes Dorothy slave away at housework while she keeps the lion in a cage. It's a pretty obvious Hansel and Gretel borrowing. This is where we get some of the Wizard of Oz stuff in Oracle Gretel. Silver shoes, following a golden road, etc. Not to mention why transformed Hansel in this story is a cat, rather than a fawn. Oh, thanks for that, Anne. And thanks to Julia Rios for the story, and for Marguerite for the awesome rating. Smile sharply, kids, but not too sharp. Feedback this week is for Pamela Rentz's The Medicine Woman of Talking Rock, read by Ada Milovanik-Brown. This was one of our guest editor's stories, this particular one snatched up by Tina Connolly, our friend, frequent reader, and editor and host of Toasted Cake. It was the story of a medicine woman in modern times trying to deal with the new corporate bureaucracy of the gods, which is where our feedback will trend. Dr. Thump said, The idea behind the story interested me. What would we do if our god suddenly adopted a modern medicine approach? While the idea was interesting, it wasn't carried through well. After the interaction with the gatekeeper, which left you thinking that nothing would be done, she had a vision about Luther's back and the ceremony begins to go okay. This leaves me wondering, one, the old gods reasserted themselves, two, the new system did work just with delays, or three, none of the above. I figured we'd get some conclusion, but I was really dissatisfied because the story just stopped without seemingly wrapping up or anything. Was the new system in place to stay? Had something happened to allow the main character to bypass it? With the abrupt ending, nothing was concluded. Chemistry guy kind of disagreed, pointing out, She's totally digging the crappy aluminum boat at the end. What's that saying? I guess one could be positive and look at it at adopting new methods when technology provides them. But I, pessimist at large, choose to view it as abandoning century-old traditions and joining the bureaucratic machine. Hmm, interesting. Well, thanks very much for those comments. Swing by forum.escapeartist.net and tell us what you thought of this week's story. And if you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. Your donations keep our ship sailing so that we can bring you the best in fantasy fiction week after week. We can't do this without you. Thanks. Well, that was our show for this week. I do hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of all of us here at Podcastle, Anne Leckie, Peter Wood, 
Anna Schwinn and myself, thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back next week with a dragon-filled adventure story by the one and only K.J. Parker. Until then, this is Dave Thompson reminding you it could definitely be worse than secretarial work, and you should never worry about love. See you in a week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Our closing quote is from Mark Twain, who said, Never allow someone to be your priority while allowing yourself to be their option. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.